1: and curse the patriarchy.
0: We can't live with these shows and we can't live without them, but we can break down every juicy moment and unpack all the weird messages these shows send us about love, sex, and dating.
1: Welcome to Love to See It, a podcast about the movies that make you think of sweltering summer days and steamy summer nights, and of course, summer love.
0: This summer, we're going to be revisiting some of the classics of summer love. You know, the movies that really make us think of, like, making out under the boardwalk, sharing a single cone of ice cream with the perfect person, just those sweet summer boyfriend vibes.
1: Yeah, the ones that you saw in movies that maybe never, like, personally experienced, but it's fine. (laughs) It's really fine. This week, we're kicking off with maybe the most perfect summer romance film we could think of, Dirty Dancing. It is simply
0: a perfect film, and here to talk about it all with us is the perfect person, the author of lovely novel, Bad Luck Bridesmaid, and just, I'd say, a general rom-com aficionado, Allison Greenberg. Thank you guys for having me. I am honored. Allison, we're so excited. I literally could not think of a better person to talk about this perfect film with. I mean, god, Dirty Dancing has it all. Everything. I mean, we
1: we we say like rom-com, uh is, is Dirty Dancing a rom com? I feel like that's like such a big question about the movie. Like a rom dramedy, maybe. Yeah. I'd say. I think it's like a romance novel come to come to screen, which I don't think we see often enough. Like it has the there's some humor, but the focus is more on the passion and like the wrong side of the tracks, love, you know, with the the good girl from from the nice family. Um, so let's start by talking about. Our experiences with dirty dancing a little bit. When did you first see the movie, Allison?
2: It had to have been mid-90s. I had a mother who tried to keep me from watching anything sexy for so long. (laughs) Um, so I feel like this came about right when I, I got my hands on Pretty Woman for the first time. I got my hands on dirty dancing. I had a best friend who had like all the movies and her mom didn't care. So it was definitely a sleepover movie for me. And I remember being obsessed and not really understanding probably in any way, shape or form, how big the abortion subplot was, or, you know, the age difference. Or any I just remember the chemistry and the dancing and the music like that for me. And then rewatching it as an adult has been oh, a whole other experience, I think, and how oddly, uh, like before it's time it was and how it holds up. It's just, it's so interesting to me. I never thought about it that way as a kid. I just thought it was so sexy.
0: Yeah, it really is a movie that, like, operates on many levels. Um, It definitely was a sleepover movie for me as well, but this was a movie that I think my mom introduced me to. Like, she— My mom was, like, a huge romantic movie person. Like, she basically did all of my classic rom-com and rom drum education, like— you know, when we were going to Blockbuster, like, we were going to rent while you were sleeping. And, like, I was going to enjoy it. And working, girl. (laughs) And Dirty Dancing was kind of part of that. Um, And then it was totally a movie that I would watch with friends on VHS at sleepovers. And we would, like, try to do some of the dance sequences as the opening credits were playing. We were like, we too can sexy dance. Uh, So it was just, like, aspirational in that way. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, the movie came out in
1: 1987, so we could all have seen it as early as our parents would let us. I could have seen it yeah. as an infant, but I think I actually didn't see it until I was well into my teens. I'm trying to even think back. I think that I was in the house that we didn't move into until I was like 17. Um, because it just, we never happened to watch it at any of my sleepovers. My best friend and I used to watch Moulin Rouge, like, every time we had a
0: sleepover, <laughs> which I think is actually in the same
1: genre I of sleepover movies. I was going to say,
0: I feel like there's actually some, uh, you know, they're, <laughs> like, cousins a little bit in terms of the vibe. Yeah.
1: It's like, you're not going to be, like, dad, older brother, younger brother, let's watch this movie about a beautiful woman and a handsome man who fall in love and have a passionate affair. Like, you have to do that with, <laughs> with your girlfriends. But, um... Yeah, I think that when I first saw it, a lot of it went over my head as well. Like, the abortion subplot just sort of feels like a bit of a a MacGuffin in a certain sense at that age. You're just like, oh, something has to happen for Johnny and Baby to have to spend all this time together learning how to dance and Penny's off somewhere having a procedure I don't have too many questions about
0: <laughs> yeah. that yeah you're like you're like, yes this feels essential but only in the sense that it is obviously yeah. what brings our main characters together yeah. so you, it can sort of subtly like wash over you which I think is part of the movie's brilliance yeah Oh
1: yeah, and it plays into that like it's like the narcissism of young love that like every teenage girl watching relates to. They're just like all I can think about is like how me falling in love with a handsome man is like the only thing that matters. Like everything else is peripheral. Um, and yeah, rewatching it later in life, it it seems much <laughs> much more striking and prominent. Um, did
2: you guys rewatch the movie recently? I did it last night and I had my daughter playing like Legos and drawing below me. And she's seven. <laughs> and so she would look up every time there was music and dancing and then look back down every time there was some, you know, the darker Dialogue. instrumental. Comes in. <laughs> yes. yes. And she's like, this is sexy dancing. That's what she told me. Um, she's she not wrong. She so sad. Se- I mean, the 80s were so cheesy. I actually rewatched oh, Top yeah. Gun because I went and saw Top Gun. I rewatched the original as well in the past week. And it's the vibe. Of the '80s, it was like just insane chemistry that you. I don't think you can get away with it now, like like the sex scene and that dancing that turns into the sex scene. I don't think it, it just no one else could do it but them. Like that chemistry was so great. And same with Top Gun, like the chemistry was so great that you, you can have these bizarre backlit silhouetted sex scenes that that are slow moving and su- way too close up on faces, and, and you're like, wow, this is sexy. This yeah, looks you're like good. they sold
0: it. They managed to sell it. it beyond the cheesiness of it
1: it feels it feels like a bit of a culture gap just like generationally where i'm like did it seem insanely corny at the time or did it just seem like this is the way to be sexy back then and everyone takes it very seriously because i'm watching the scenes where johnny is being really sexy doing his ballroom dancing and in his little, like, tiny tank tops. And I'm like, that just isn't what sexiness looks like now. It's hard to take it seriously. And yet you also get seduced by it, as you say, because it's they're able to, to bring that chemistry to play on you. But, man, I guess the whole decade everyone was just, like, really into cheesy shit and they no were no one was like
2: slamming people against walls it was more of just like this slow moving it was sensual sensual <laughs> that's the word <laughs> Sen- we're, now we're like choke me and throw me against a wall and then we yeah. were like now we have shows
0: like netflix's premier um romantic drama sex life sex slash life which you know if you i mean it's it's corny in its own way, <laughs> corny yes. in a very different way. Corny in a way that uh, doesn't work and is extremely self-serious <laughs> yes. in a much grimmer way. Yeah. A much grimmer <laughs> way.
1: <laughs> um, it's like we go from like, let me just like gently lay you backward and swing your hair around swing. in a circle and then kiss your neck to like we're having sex in a subway tunnel. Like that's <laughs> that's the date. It's Take a it or leave literal it. Literal railing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so. I've also rewatched it and yeah, I have to say felt a lot different rewatching it as an adult. Uh there's a lot more a lot more that you notice. But but let's get into the the blow by blow a little bit. Yeah, I of, think
0: we we need to do like a little condensed play the summary groundwork. before we kind of go into the themes that this movie brings up because it it brings up a lot and there's a lot of like meaty shit to kind of dive into. Claire, do you want to, you are the the consummate. uh, (laughs) This is my moment. Yeah, this is your moment to shine. Give us the blow (laughs) by blow.
1: I will be silent for the rest of the episode. No. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So it's set in the summer of 1963. This is something I think I actually didn't understand when I first watched the movie, which is that it was a period piece. Like it was set 25 years before it came out. Because when you're a little
0: kid, you're like 60s, 80s. Eh, it was in the past. Seems like it's in the past. old stuff. <laughs> I think
1: the idea that I, I didn't really understand that period pieces existed before today. I was like, stuff that's in the past is all from just the past, <laughs> and it's contemporary, and stuff from now can be set in the past or now. Um, it's different. <laughs> um, so it is set uh, during one summer at Kellerman's, a resort in the Catskills, and our heroine is Baby. She is the younger and... I would say, pet daughter of Dr. Hausman. Oh, yeah. Yes, a a doctor from New York who's just like a do-cutter, sort of social justice-minded man, and he's very proud of his, his daughter, who has similar values and aspirations. She wants to go to Mount Holyoke. She's going to start in the fall and study, like, the economics of developing nations or something... <laughs> And like change the world by studying economics, which and going to tell me it's the eighties without
2: telling me it's the eighties. <laughs> yeah, and she's gonna and go. Mostly the his corps. other daughter just sucks. So like he puts all his love and hope into baby.
1: Oh, I wrote I wrote her older sister Lisa wishes she brought more than 10 pairs of shoes. This is her personality. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Poor Lisa. That's all I was oh. thinking on my rewatch. I was like, oh man. And that song, It's Worse Than You Remember It,
1: or she does <laughs> oh, that, that brutal. I actually rewatched it twice this weekend. Um and <laughs> it was worse the second time somehow, <laughs> even in that short of a span of rewatching. Um poor Lisa, she just wants to have the coral shoes that go with the dress and for her hair not to be frizzy. And, and you know what?
0: I I I sometimes I have similar aspirations. So, yeah, yeah.
1: Um and so it's it's a sort of classic uh Catskill Resort summer. There are merengue lessons, there's charades in the lobby, there are events where they all try on wigs for some reason. Uh, they are, you know, every night they have dinner with table service, there's swimming, there's pinochle. And amid all of this, I think that the house are supposed to be there for about three weeks or a month um, at the end of the summer. Baby becomes really fascinated with the dancing instructors, Johnny and Penny. Uh, Penny used to be a rockette. And is a very talented dancer. Johnny is just uh, Patrick Swayze. That's all. Just a really incredibly handsome, talented dancer. And one one night, she is being escorted to the kitchen by the son of the resort owner, Neil Kellerman, who is trying to squire her through this month of the summer.
0: Neil and <laughs> I just have to say, is <laughs> such an incredible character upon rewatch. He is, like, perfectly played and so repellent. I (laughs) love it.
1: They didn't try to make his character nuanced. He is just deeply unpleasant. (laughs) And he escorts her to the kitchen to impress her with, like, an after-hours treat. And she sees Penny crying in in a dark corner. And she summons Johnny and sort of just hangs around while Johnny deals with the situation and learns that what's going on is that Penny is pregnant. She had been involved with Robbie, who is a Yale medical student and waiter, who has also incidentally been flirting with baby's sister, Lisa, and that Robbie got her pregnant and is now refusing to pay for an abortion, which is also illegal. But they do have a hookup. They know someone who could do it. They just need $250. And so, baby tries to help by getting Penny money for the abortion fund by telling her father that she just needs two hundred and fifty dollars to help someone for a non illegal reason. <laughs> for definitely not illegal, of course. She just can't tell him what it is.
0: Also, I just want to say that like two hundred fifty dollars in nineteen sixty three is like equivalent to almost like twenty five hundred dollars. It's a lot of, it's money. A lot of like money. Like all the
1: other, all the other staff are like, "We'll help you pay for the abortion." She's like, "It wouldn't be enough." Um yeah it's this is this is the future that we're staring down um and so she gets the money but then she learns there's another hurdle which is that penny needs to do a Mambo performance with Johnny at another resort. It's necessary. The Sheldrake. It's necessary. It's in their contract. They have to dance for three they're minutes. They're going to or lose. Their contract next is canceled. Year's
0: gig. Okay. They're
1: gonna. They're gonna be in breach of contract. They're not gonna get paid if they don't do this three minute dance. I can't emphasize enough that they get these people all the way over to the resort to do one mambo for three <laughs> it's
2: minutes. It's also kind of wild that like she can't do. It. I, I kept rewatching, going like, this inciting incident, like the abortion. Yes, and then it's so flimsy how it, it makes it about this dance that it ends up being. Not even a big. I don't know. It's just interesting to me. I don't even know if they needed to do this dance and why they didn't go into it that deeply. You just but have to you accept just, it. You just sucked in. They'll yes. lose they this year's to contract. To They'll and lose next the contract. contract. Okay. They and need it's the gig. only.
1: It's the only day that this doctor is going to be a new pulse. Of course. course. And yeah. and so he has to do it at that time. And so. They're like, well, who could take Penny's place? She has to do it and then just have a baby. She has to have a baby because she can't miss this one mambo unless unless baby wants to help.
0: And baby's like, sure. I mean, I will learn the mambo. We already <laughs> knew at this point that baby can move her hips. We saw her carry a watermelon. We yeah. saw her get an initial little on-the-fly lesson from Johnny. And like, she has promise. Yeah. He he was teaching her to grind, like, let's be
1: real. (laughs) But he's like, you know, we can work with that. We start with the grinding, we work backwards to the mambo. Um, And so she agrees, and she and Johnny just have to spend a lot of time together over the course of some hot, rainy, sunny summer days practicing the mambo and teaching her to keep her head up and her frame locked you know, don't look down. Don't look at your feet. Frame locked, head up, and you know they they do the iconic dance on the log together. They they do some like really fun scenes where uh, Penny is like helping them, and so Johnny is like dancing with Baby, and then Penny is like behind her, like holding dancing her, dancing with her. Shoulders yeah, up. like it's like very menage. We'll get into that. And uh, during this perf- this practice, she and Johnny become very close. They get a, a nice rapport going. They end up doing the performance. Penny goes to get her abortion. It com- it goes okay. I would say Baby looks very shaky, and she does chicken out on the lift, so it's not her big triumphant moment. Um, but they get through it. They don't break their contract. They come back on a high and discover that the doctor has badly botched Penny's abortion. She's bleeding. She's in a lot of pain. And so Baby gets her father, who's a doctor, and wakes him up in the middle of the night, and he treats Penny. But he also, in the course of this visit, gets the strong impression that Johnny got Penny pregnant, perhaps because when he asks who's responsible for this woman, Johnny says, I am. (laughs) I guess not thinking through what responsible for might mean. And it's also clear that... Johnny and Baby are quite close from what Dr. Hausman sees. So he is very upset after this. He's like, you need to never see those people again. You're you're not to have anything to do with them. You're not the person I thought you were. I don't know who you
0: are. He also realizes that that is what his money was uh, likely funding. He's like, you told me it was nothing illegal. Well,
1: she probably would have told you what it was for then. I don't know. (laughs) Um, And so... Over the course of the summer, Baby just ignores him. She keeps sneaking around with Johnny. Um, In fact, the same night, I think she goes back to Johnny's place and they hook up. Nothing and you in the
2: mood like a botched abortion.
1: <laughs> I know. I was like, Johnny's, like, best friend is, like, bleeding out in the other room. And he's like, on the other hand, Baby's amazing. Guys,
0: trauma bonding. Very they real. Are bonding. Very powerful.
1: It's really true. Um And... <laughs> So, as the summer goes on, they're sort of in this secret romance, but there's some tension. Like, he clearly is frustrated that he's not allowed to share his modern dance ideas with the Kellermans, and she's like, well, you need to just keep trying and stand up for yourself. And he's like, you won't even tell your dad that I'm your man. And so, there's this fundamental question of, like, can Baby really shake off her, like, good girl, her good girl shell in order to like espouse the values that she claims to espouse of like always fighting for what's right and what she believes in. And then it comes to a head when there is a series of wallet thefts I love reading the plot where I'm just like, this is an insane movie, but it's also a perfect movie. Uh, one of the older women whose husband is very wealthy and only comes up for the weekends. We see in an earlier scene that the owner of the resort refers to them kind of creepily as bungalow bunnies, and she clearly has like a sexual fascination with Johnny. And she has her husband offer Johnny money to keep her occupied with extra dance lessons. One night, while he is going to be in an, an all-night card game. And Johnny, with Baby looking on, is like, I actually can't. I don't have time for these lessons, so I can't take your money. And he returns it. That night, the man's wallet is stolen from his jacket, and the rebuffed woman accuses Johnny, apparently in retaliation. She's also seen him kissing Baby later that night. Um, and Baby hears about this from the Kellermans and that Johnny is the suspect and that he's going to be fired and she's desperate she's like I have to stop this I know Johnny didn't do it he was in his room all night and the reason I know that is because I was with him She then also, like, accuses an elderly couple that she has seen with several wallets. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, they probably did it. And you know what? She's right. She's so, correct. So her methods are vindicated. Johnny is cleared of stealing the wallets, but he is still fired for sleeping with one of the customer's teenage daughters. And Dr. Hausman is now real, real mad. He is giving baby the full silent treatment. Um, But... Things have been repaired a little bit with Lisa because Lisa was going to sleep with Robbie, who has been flirting with her all summer. Baby warns her not to and is like, he's not the guy for you. Lisa tries to go to his bungalow to surprise him anyway and discovers him in bed with the bungalow bunny and realizes that Baby was just looking out for her, knows what's up. And so they, they've begun to bond. Johnny leaves they don't break up, it seems like. But this is all building towards the final night of the summer at the resort. And there's going to be, like, a big talent show. Lisa's going to be singing a song <laughs> that I can only describe as <laughs> screechy and yodeling. <laughs>
2: Yodel.
1: It's very yodely. It really is. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and Baby is going to sit in the corner like she does. And... As they are singing their final song, which appears to be the resort song about joining hand and heart and hand and voice and soul and spirit. And it's being led by Neil Kellerman of all people. <laughs> Patrick Swayze comes in and says, Nobody puts baby in a corner, and pulls her up on stage to do a modernized version of the mamba that they have learned to a song in a style that would not exist for another 20 years, I've had the time of my life. I Big mean, hit of 1987, made for this movie. Perfection. And
2: <laughs> Every last they, song at a wedding for a reason.
0: Exactly. <laughs> the best.
1: They, you know, they do their their real their spiced up modern version of this song. All of the staff that we have seen having much more free and creative dance sessions at their after parties together are are waiting in the wings and they all come and join in the dance. And then the guests all join the dance and everyone's dancing to these Cuban rhythms and like more like modern modern music and this is the scene where everything kind of comes together and is resolved. Because during this song, Dr. Hausman also learns that Robbie, not Johnny, was the one who knocked up Penny. He also sees how Baby is with Johnny on stage, that she's unlocked another side of herself, and he softens toward Johnny and toward Baby. And everyone just kind of comes together in this beautiful um, uniting moment where their differences don't feel so, so meaningful and they're able to join hand and heart and voice and hand together. And that brings us to the end of the movie. Oh, it's beautiful. Did I
0: anything? No, that was it's incredible, so Claire. You really, you wow. really just like went for it. And I think, I think that you hit all of the high points. We can, you know, go a little deeper on on certain details in our thematic discussion. But I feel like if anyone hasn't seen this movie, you get shame the idea. No, <laughs> no, also shame on you. Also shame yeah. on you. Also shame on, yeah. shame on you.
1: Uh. <laughs>
0: also, why would
1: you deny yourself that joy? You know, you could just be happy for an hour and a half. Why not give yourself that? So there are so many things we want to talk about in this movie. But Emma, I know that one thing that was really important to you to discuss was
0: just the, the setting of the movie. Can you, can you get us started? Yes. So I have a lot of feelings about the fundamental Jewishness of this movie and its setting in the Catskills, specifically in what was colloquially known at the time as the Borscht Belt. Um, Kellerman's is kind of based on like a really famous Catskills resort, Grossinger's, that existed at the time. And like, These sort of long-term family camps um, were, like, a really, really key part of specifically, like, middle-class Ashkenazi Jewish life from, like, the 20s to the 60s up to, like, the 70s, I think, is when most of them ended up closing down. Although I will say that recently the region and a lot of these old resorts have had a bit of a resurgence, I think, in part because of the pandemic and people having, like, more flexible work schedules and stuff. Um, But yeah, I love how this movie is really, really Jewish without being sort of, um, without it being so overt. Like that is not really something that is discussed overtly, but it's coded everywhere. Obviously, the resort is called Kellerman's. Um, And I think that, Eleanor Bergstein, who wrote this movie, did an incredible job of showing the way that this segment of the Jewish community both formed these social uh, and cultural traditions because of anti-Semitism. You know, a lot of Jews weren't allowed into, like, country clubs and the more waspy resorts in the Catskills at the time, and this was sort of like this alternative little Jewish summer society that ended up emerging. And at the same time... The movie really doesn't shy away from, like, its in-group critique about the classism and the underlying racism that could exist in these, like, white, um, wealthy Jewish circles. And, like, that just, I think, is so, so smartly done. And it just, like, Dirty Dancing really captures kind of the end of the Borscht Belt's golden era. Mm -hmm. And I fucking love it. Allison, I know as a, a fellow Jewish
2: lady, did it, the Jewishness of the movie strike you? It's like the next time watching it and I've watched it, I think like a year and a half ago and then watching it again, it totally struck me. And I think also, you know, if it's set at what, 1963, we're not that far out from the Holocaust too. So these places were so important for rebuilding Jewish identity and, um, you know, and celebrating Jewish identity. And then also, you know, I look at Robbie and I'm like, oh my God, that's the guy who my dad would have totally given money to for medical, you know, this is a nice Jewish guy, (laughs) Mm male medical school. And if my dad had seen me dancing with Johnny, he would have lost his mind. And it felt like (laughs) very much like, you know, a situation I could have seen myself in, in that time. Um, With, you know, a class divide, but also with this Jewish identity that was so important to a race that was rebuilding itself, to people who were rebuilding themselves. Um, and I think it's so interesting that those places don't really exist anymore. It's sort of, they died out in the 80s for the most part. Um, yeah. Which is even, which is now feels almost really probable. It's so much of this, of watching this is so problematic because it feels like so much in this movie is necessary to talk about again, or or we need safe havens, or we need these things in place that, you know, we thought we wouldn't probably in 87 Um, but yeah, the Jewishness of it and the, and the setting was, it felt, it felt like home in so many ways. And I'm sure our parents can say they've been to places like that or those places, their families. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I mean, Jennifer Gray is such a recognizably Jewish actress also. And like, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about the way that, you know, even you look at like the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which did have a great, um, few episodes set at a similar Catskills resort, but like a lot of those main actors are are playing Jewish characters um, and are not Jewish themselves. And there is, like, a long history of that. And so I think for me also to, like, see an overtly Jewish woman playing this overtly Jewish character and um, being coded as, like, desirable and full of potential was something that was really meaningful and probably didn't, like, strike me so consciously when I first saw it, but has definitely sat with me since then agreed yeah I've read like some critiques that
1: it's not mentioned enough in dirty dancing that like the there are no like overt discussions of Jewishness or you know religious belief or um you know the fact that like Johnny clearly isn't Jewish and that you know this is you know baby is and her family is and that not that all of that is sort of like I saw the word scrubbed used in some some places, but there's also a way in which it's like very clearly present if you know what you're looking for. And yes. I don't know if that's quite the same thing as it being absent.
0: Yeah, I agree. I actually think it works better because it's not, they're not sitting around being like, and now we will do the Sabbath prayer. Like <laughs> the reality of a lot of Jewish life in the United States is that it is cultural rather than overtly religious. And so to me, that makes this movie more honest about the Jewish experience um, and more familiar to me personally. And certainly this was like based in large part on experiences that the writer Eleanor Bergstein um, had had as a child going with her parents, her doctor father and her mother um, to Borscht Belt resorts and also like engaging in secret like, basement dirty dancing. So, (laughs) you know, there is, like, an honesty, I think, kind of baked into the screenplay.
1: I love the detail that in 1997, she described herself as a teenage mambo queen to the New York Times. (laughs) Apparently, I Was a Teenage Mambo Queen was actually the... Alternate title for the movie because a lot of people actually objected, including some of Patrick Swayze. The co-stars. Patrick <laughs> Swayze hated it, and I under, Like it, I think that that's one reason I didn't watch it for so long. I was such a prudish little Catholic schoolgirl, and. It does sound sort of porny, I think, that, that I, I felt. And that's that's what the objection was at the time. Like, how are we going to get people to come see this movie in theaters? It sounds like a porn. But I Was a Teenage Mambo Queen actually does not have the same it's horrible appeal no. either. I would definitely would never have seen it if
2: that was the name. I think they had to scrub the name while filming, too, because they wanted to make sure the locations didn't kick them out. So they wanted to make it sound like it was this really nice dancing movie and dirty dancing on the script when you did location setting you know, no one wanted to have their beautiful Catskills resort. You know, look like it was again dirty. Yeah, um, so yeah, the basement I think- dancing or you know whatever whatever that evokes.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, no one wanted to be associated with that. I-, I also love that she also had an older sister, and just like imagining her actual older sister <laughs> watching Lisa on screen, rough. <laughs> Rough, <laughs> brutal, younger siblings. You, you know, they're sneaky. You don't realize how hard they're judging you. Um, yeah, I, I think that uh, there's a lot even to dig into with what we've already touched on about this element, like the, you know, the good Jewish boy Robbie and, and the, the, the entertainment staff like Johnny and the divide. Um, between how they're perceived by the the owners of the resort and the parents. But I think we should take a quick break and then we'll be back to talk a little bit more about the clasp and racial politics of dirty dancing.
0: And we're back and it is time to talk about some of those deeper issues that are kind of subtly embedded into dirty dancing. As Claire said before, Um, you know, obviously these resorts existed in part as a reaction to anti-Semitism, but there also were these very obvious hierarchies, even within that subculture. And that's something that Dirty Dancing, I think, does a really good job of illustrating. You obviously have the guests, some of them being very powerful, either connected to the resort owners or, like, privileged guests like the bungalow bunnies who are known to kind of spend a lot of money and so are are sort of given greater leeway um, by the staff. And then you have kind of the first tier of staffers, those like golden Jewish, well-educated, you know, summer job kids who are meant to consort with the daughters as uh, the owner says in a just very Beautifully. Um, even the dogs. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Max. Gross. No one
1: wants to feel like their daughter is too much of a dog to be flirted with by a waiter by who goes to Yale Medical School. Oh, exactly.
0: <laughs> oh my God. Um, but I thought that, that scene was actually really important to kind of setting up setting yeah. up what the expectations are. Um, it's and not it's not a light touch. It's it very not. heavy-handed. It's overt. They're like, to be clear, these guys are supposed to flirt with the guests and those people, those non-Jewish, largely um, poor, potentially not college educated entertainment staff, they are kind of like the bottom class of of this like resort society. Um, and Max is like, your job is just to keep the guests happy, teach them some dancing, but hands off. like do not touch anyone. This is not part yeah. of what's on what's on the menu for you the way that it is for these Yale educated yeah. nice Jewish boys.
2: Yeah. It's like this is these these girls are going to marry those guys. Right. You're yeah. the eye candy, you know, and that's that's your job.
1: There's something about this scene um that made me think about debutante culture a lot and and um you know, we, I really loved the the book about um, debutante culture um, in England and the U.S., uh, the season um, that sort of dug into one world uh, in which people, you know, try to set up a way for their money daughters to meet the right young men. And this is its own very specific version of that, which is like, you have a good job, your son goes to college, and in the summer, he works at a resort to make you know, money to buy a nice car, and, you know, then he'll go back to, like, law school at Harvard in the fall, and your daughter is gonna be at the resort taking dance lessons and, like, fixing her bangs, and she's going to be introduced to these young men who have a good work ethic and a good pedigree and a good education. And Like, you don't really see, like, young adult men as much in the guests. Like, This is a professional ladder that they're climbing, like they're going to go to college and start working as soon as they're maybe out of high school and the daughters are being a little bit more decorative even as they get their like MRS degrees and then they mangle in these controlled ways. And that's a whole different question from like if you're a professional like saxophonist in the band, or whatever. Like you're not supposed to, to that you're not one of the people that the 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 wealthy, you know, lawyers and doctors who come to this resort want for their daughter. Um, and so it is a lot about like making sure that your young daughters are paired off in the way that you that you see fit.
0: I think this movie also just is so sharp in the way that it critiques. The biases that can exist even in a community that is itself like overtly um, and proudly liberal. Like, this is not the same as debutante culture in the sense that that's like a really fundamentally conservative, WASPY tradition for the most part. And th- I think the things that drive those forces within the Jewish community, like, they come from a different place, right? Like, in a lot of ways, it is a reaction to oppression. And at the same time, there is that, like, anxiety that you can sense about the, like, precarious place that Jews um, occupy, especially within the United States, especially post-Holocaust. And this, like, desire to to curate how your kids will will exist and carry on those traditions moving forward. And that's why we see, like, you know, Dr. Hausman wanting baby to be educated, wanting her to explore her passions, but, like, in the right way, in the way that will keep her safe, in the way that will allow her to eventually partner with someone who's, like, worthy of her, quote-unquote. And he has very specific limiting ideas of what that, like, worthiness connotes. Another moment that, like, really struck me re-watching it was when um, Neil Kellerman is, like, talking to Baby about what she's studying, and he's like, yeah, you know, after the summer, me and some of the bus boys are going down south. We're, like, going freedom riding. And I thought that one line was just, like, wow. It spoke to so much the way that, like, first of all, Jews were really involved in the civil rights movement, but also to a lot of the tensions that arose between, you know, the Jewish vision of, what it meant to be involved in that movement and, like, the racial tensions that um, did arise as a result. And you see, like, Neil sort of using this really important action as a way to, like, signal to Baby that he's a good person. Like, yeah. for him, so, a freedom ride it's a is pick a pickup line. Yeah, it's a pickup mm-hmm. line. It's a prop. And, like, I just think Eleanor Bergstein does such a good job of including these little references that speak to, like, such a, a sharp and incisive critique of of that, like, form of performative activism.
2: And kind of, like, having the... I think this movie's just so ahead of its time with talking about privilege, yeah. right? And acknowledging the privilege of all these people there. And, you know, they can... They don't need the money to get through the summer, and they can go and, you know, be civil rights activists as they want. They can do whatever they want and use it as a pickup line or maybe can just hand money over to a problem and fix it. And I think it's like, you know, Penny and Johnny do a great job of helping baby to acknowledge her privilege um, and understand it. And maybe they're a little harsh on her too, because I think actually in so many ways, her standing up to her father and asking for these things is a big deal for her as a character. Um, But I I think it is really wonderful in this movie to see it brought up. I, I don't, you know there's movies now where they bring it up just to hit it on its head before you know a critic yeah. goes at them i feel like and they didn't have to do that um in 19 you know 87 and she did which to me is so interesting um and to
1: that point like i don't think that they're being harsh on her in a sense of they want to punish her for having privilege or like they're just like now i really have one up on her they're they're, they're coming at baby from a perspective of here is a like To us, almost a child, like, we work, we've worked for years, we take care of ourselves, we live in a hard world where there's no leeway given to us, there's no safety net. She doesn't understand any of that. And she wants to be here in these tough conversations and offer solutions. Well, she needs to prove to us that she has what it takes to really be part of this. And if she doesn't, then she can go back to, like, playing pinochle with her family or, you know solving jigsaw puzzles. And that's them protecting themselves, right? Like, from from someone who wants to kind of, you know, moonlight, you know, or as Robbie gracefully puts it later, (laughs) slum it, you know, and have a little bit of fun by, you know, goggling at the glamorous dancers with their exotic problems, And once they see that she's kind of good for it, they're like, great, she's our best friend now. We love baby. (laughs) Our 18-year-old's, like, Mount Holyoke-bound best friend.
0: It is this kind of um, more subtle version of, like, I think the the enemies-to-lovers trope that you see in a lot of, like, hit-you-over-the-head Hallmark movies, where it is, like, two people who are fundamentally good but have their own sets of baggage and their own sets of preconceived notions for in large part good reason, especially, you know, when it comes to Johnny and Penny. Um, And by way of like having challenges thrown at them and also dancing, because it's the universal language of love, um, (laughs) they are able to like overcome those
2: preconceived notions and like fall in love. It's it's even grumpy and sunshine, I would say. Cause for her, she loves him the second she sees him, right? And he looks at her. And I think the problem with baby is her name. First of all, they infantilize her the entire movie, but mm-hmm. I think don't he doesn't take her seriously from the second he looks at her. And so I think for him, yes, maybe enemies to lovers, but I saw it kind of as like a definitely more heightened and more, you know, smarter, intelligent, kind of grumpy and sunshine right? Where she is, yes, the world has only, yeah. the, the road has yes. only ever been paved in gold for her. And for him, it's been a fucking rough road where the car breaks down. And and I think it's just seeing him kind of seeing her sunlight shine on him and him finally like embrace it is what makes we be so sexy. And like, and what also brings her out of this baby space, right? Which is what she's trying to break out of the whole time.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a really smart point. I think you're completely right and like
1: because I have read a lot of romance novels including some that came out a long time ago that are don't hold up politically so to speak. But there is also a a genre of romance novels that is about like young girls being kind of trained by their partners um, to be kind of like the ideal partner for them anyway this isn't that bad but like (laughs) I think it does sort of fit somewhat into this genre where like she is being like initiated into the ways of like sensuality by Johnny and being like taught his his way of being in in a dance and therefore sort of by extension like in a physical and or romantic uh, relationship. And that's something that is just a classic rom-com staple, like the virginal girl who is sort of in- inducted into the ways of the world by a man who is like maybe he's a rake or he's sort of more experienced and hardened in certain ways. Um, and from him she is like shown the whole world of of sensuality.
0: Yeah, and he's also, like, she's given this kind of freedom of exploration. Like, I think at the end, you don't necessarily feel like these people are going to be together forever, right? Like, we're in that, and that's kind of the beauty Mm -hmm. of the summer romantic narrative as a whole. Like, it gets to be self-contained and still feel complete. Like, on vacation, you're allowed to explore different sides of yourself. Like, I just watched um, the new Hulu Rom-com Fire Island. Ooh, oh, it's I've heard fanta- that's Yeah, it's very fantastic queer rom-com, but it plays with a lot of these tropes about what it means to like be in a different setting and get to try on different versions of yourself, and then like what that can kind of unlock, specifically romantically. And I think that this movie does the same. It's like baby. Baby's path has been clear. She knows what her role is within her family. She knows what her role is within the world or she thinks she does. And suddenly she meets Baby and Penny and she's like, the world is so much bigger than my community. Like, my and, and the dancing is a stand-in for, for that freedom and that exploration. Yeah. Like, suddenly she can, she can move her hips and her yeah. waist in ways she never thought she could before. And like, how fucking Let's freeing talk- is that? Let's
1: talk just briefly about the watermelon scene, <laughs> one of the most iconic oh, scenes in this movie. So good. This is when Baby really gets uh, involved in the social lives of the staff before she has seen Penny crying and and gets even more entangled. She has sort of befriended uh, the the young man who carried the, their family's luggage, Billy. And he turns out to be Johnny's cousin. And she sees him struggling with two watermelons headed up to someplace over the hill. And she's like, let me help you. Let me come with you. And he's like, no, it's staff only. Like, your dad would kill you. You know, I'd be fired. You can't come. But she talks her way in. She carries a watermelon with him. And there's a moment where he takes both watermelons and he turns his back to the double doors and he just bashes them open with his back and they fly open and he drops the watermelons and the room is just packed with couples of all different like races dancing in a way that Penny has never seen before because it's the staff it's not just like the waiters it's the people who are professional like resort workers and entertainment workers and unlike the, the sort of the ballroom that we would see For the customers, it's, you know, it's not just a homogenous group, it's people who are Latinx, it's people who are Black, and people who are from working-class backgrounds, and they're all dancing in this way that is completely new to Baby. And so it's like this whole new world in so many ways has just, like, exploded open in front of her. I just love the way that he just bangs the door
0: open, and it's like, bam! Bam! I think the first time I saw the movie, I thought that guy was going to be the love interest. Me too. He's super cute. <laughs> He's really cute. <laughs> I need more on,
2: on Johnny's cousin. And he was warm and sweet and just kind of like, yeah. I feel like he was like the tour guide yeah. into, into that yeah. life. You know, just the, the opening, again, like the opening of the door to that life and her just not being able to speak after she sees this and sees Johnny, you know, and just the, I carried a watermelon line, I, and then she chastises herself for,
0: for it because it's all she could say. Oh, my God. Baby is the greatest <gasps> romantic lead. She's just so relatable and awkward, and Jennifer Grey does such a great job of embodying that. Like, oh, uh, it's...
1: Yeah.
2: I love That's it. Second-guessing <laughs> the thing you say to the guy you have an epic crush on, you know, after seeing the world he he runs and... I think it's, yeah, as you
1: said, so relatable, like beyond. Yeah. And Johnny is like negging her hard. He's like, not even talking to her directly. He's like, what's she doing here? And then all of a sudden, he's like, let me teach you how to grind your hips on my <laughs> pelvis. Why not? That's I feel what I'm like here this, for. this
0: scene was really like the forebear to that um, Julia Stiles in <laughs> Save the Last Dance. Scene, oh, yeah. Where she's like in the club and like, Bouncing I
2: thought you were going to talk, <laughs> talk
0: about her Juilliard audition. Which oh, is oh the no! <laughs> <thing. laughs> yeah. We well, to talk about that. That that is a dance scene that really did <sighs> I was not gonna age say, well. I have rewatched it recently, and it's I'm upset that I once thought it was good. But yeah, no, I mean, where we she idiots. like is that just token white girl who like cannot move her body yeah. in any <laughs> sort of graceful way? I, I'd say Jennifer Gray makes greater strides. But
1: I was going <laughs> to say earlier that Dirty Dancing ran so so Save the Last Dance could walk. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, we took a huge step back. We really did. Um, but I do think that there is uh, a similarity, and that's one thing I wanted to talk about here, in that it fits into a similar genre of, like, here are... Here's, like, a girl who is, uh, you know, white, and, some, and also Jewish in this case, but, you know, she has a world open to her that is more diverse and, you know, starts to learn more about the obstacles faced by other people who don't have her privileges. Um, and there is this, this group of people who are a much more diverse group of people who who show her that and who show us, like, a more vibrant sort of cultural sphere. But they are, like, the background, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, like, such, a, such an, an ongoing... Issue in in entertainment and like so many to, from pop music to to film um, that like we still see that being sort of framed around like the personal um, eye opening and education of of like a, a white middle class girl um, who is then the star of the show um, and that but the 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 culture that is bringing new life
0: is is that of people of color, right? But they are the background dancers. Yeah. No, that's definitely something that um, I probably didn't note when I, the you know, in my first years watching and loving this movie and something that feels much more obvious now. And it is, like, an uncomfortable thing to grapple with. I do think that because of the movie's focus on so, so much of the, like, cultural landscape of that moment... It does – certainly, I'd say it feels a little less tokenizing than, say, like, Save the Last Dance, which I think in a lot of ways really doesn't hold up. Um, But, yeah, I think that you do feel like you're on a journey with someone who has a lot of learning to do, and it's, like – it is, like, at what human cost does her learning – Get to happen. And I do Mm -hmm. credit this script with at least levying consequences on someone like Johnny. Like, baby has an awakening where she's like, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna in some capacity give up my privilege to do what's right. Like, I'm gonna tell my father that I've been dating Johnny. I'm going to admit to things that will like affect my social standing. And yet, Johnny still gets fired. Like, I think the movie Mm -hmm. does a good job of showing that, like, baby's newly awakened, more honest principles are not enough to change a system. Um, Mm -hmm. And that people can still be harmed even if you personally have, like, and, you know, a political and cultural awakening. Like, you're not necessarily going to positively impact people for whom, um, that awakening wasn't necessary because it's their lived experience.
2: Yeah. And she has that whole, you know, once she tells her father everything and, and their relationship goes to shit and she goes to Johnny and, and she finds out he's still getting fired and she's like, so I did this for nothing. Right. She gets so upset because she thought her putting herself on the line would mean that the world would be, but you know, the truth would make the world better. And she realizes mm-hmm. it's not the case for some people, right. She has certain privileges that were her, you know, where she can say what she needs to say and she'll still be fine. And he won't, um, and the world yeah. will still spin in her favor and not his. And I think it's, you know, I think that it does a good job of sort of showing her a little bit of loss of innocence for somebody who's been very sheltered and, you know, privilege comes with being sheltered, right. It's, it's she's a privilege to only have seen xyz out of life um and to think that if you show someone's a good person that it's all going to be okay for them um and that that way of thinking it doesn't happen for her in this movie right he still gets fired she, her relationship with her dad goes to shit because she put herself on the line she realizes this rosy way of thinking you know is not real life i think yeah i think yeah
1: Yeah, she's just, like, progressively putting more and more of herself on the line Mm -hmm. over the course of the movie, and that's sort of her arc. That's, like, first she's just asked her dad for some money, and he doesn't even think about it because he has money. And then it's, like, you need to come see my friend who had a back-alley abortion, and now you know what I'm mixed up in. And then it's, I was up all night banging the dance instructor, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Like, she's really giving up more and more of of... Of the the sort of good girl persona that has that has allowed her to be daddy's girl for so long, and um and yeah, it still doesn't always
0: doesn't pan out get
1: you anywhere, exactly. and you have to be willing to make those sacrifices anyway. I think that like her dad is an, such an interesting character because he's like the epitome of the really good hearted like great. liberal guy who still doesn't really understand his own prejudices and his own blinders and the way that he sanctions kind of the flirtations of Neil Kellerman even though he's like seems like it's just a terrible person <laughs> or or Robbie and and is willing very quickly on the other hand to see someone like Johnny um who isn't in his in group um as morally questionable and and that's sort of at the heart of Baby's journey also is this disillusionment with, with her father. I mean, I want to hit some of the key moments with Robbie and Neil. Robbie, after D- Baby tells him that he should really pay for Penny's abortion, he offers her a copy of the Fountainhead that he just carries around <laughs> oh, in his waiting God. uniform to look over at key moments. He's like, and oh, he's I like, have notes in the margins. <laughs> yeah, give it back to me. I have notes in the margins. By the way, Whenever a man has ever given me a book unsolicited and then been like, please it back flag. to me. I have notes in the margins. I'm not giving that book back to you. I didn't ask for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you pushed it on me so I could read your margin notes. No, thank also you. Also, just I think
0: <laughs> red flag, like a man yes. saying I love Anne Rand, red flag, many, many red flags, immediate, many. immediate run the other way. <laughs>
1: And he tells her some people matter, some people don't, which is like honestly almost maybe too on the nose, but I loved it. Neil Kellerman, meanwhile, you know, he's bragging that he's going freedom riding, but he treats his staff really demeaningly. He really enjoys that he is Mr. Boss Man, that he has all this power
0: over them. He, at one point, he even, a girl from the lifeguard. Okay. I don't know if you've heard, but (laughs) everyone wants him because. He has two hotels. Yeah. I'm the catch of the county. Your father
1: will be happy if he knows that you're <laughs> the catch with of me. the county. Oh, it's so good. It's so, I love this moment too, because he doesn't realize how oblivious it is to try to hit on Baby by bragging that he was, like, picking up another girl, like, the week before.
0: <laughs> and also she, it, he's such a great, like, uh, repellent romantic figure because it is that like classic thing where a man is just like really like hitting all of his high points. He's like, I'm nailing it. I'm telling the lifeguard story. I'm talking about how I'm such a good person. <laughs> and the whole time, baby's face is just like blank, like she's dissociating, staring yeah. off into the distance, not responding. And he's like, Yeah, this is going great for me. No yeah, sealed the deal.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I love that this story, too, is, is him basically telling someone else's joke, and he's so proud of himself. He's like, the lifeguard asks, what does he have that I don't? And she said, two hotels. And then he laughs and laughs. I'm <laughs> like, that's not even your joke, man. Like, you're not impressing anyone right now.
0: Just out here stealing from more talented, creative women is the what I see there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, I think we should take a quick break and then we're going to be right back to talk about the abortion subplot.
2: Can you keep up? I like love.
0: And we are back and we, of course, have to talk about something that is at the literal center of the plot of this movie, which is that Penny needs to have and does have an illegal abortion, which is Ultimately, it does not go well. Um, and something I found really interesting in, in reading about the history of this movie in preparation was that Eleanor Bergstein fought really, really hard to keep this as part of the movie and very intentionally put it at the center so that if someone asked to take it out, she would be literally incapable of doing that without like undoing the entirety of the plot like can I'm pretty, you imagine you know, what incredible. kind of movie
1: <laughs> would result from that being edited out i'm obsessed with this idea it suddenly <laughs> becomes this weird disconnected like movie where baby is suddenly dancing with johnny all the time and
0: where's penny we don't know like, she just is, went somewhere <laughs> why are people mad at robbie who can say what why is he yeah robbie's a, a bad guy for reasons because he just reads the Fountainhead, that's the only evidence that he's bad. (laughs) Yeah, but honestly, um,
1: for some reason, he just really wanted Baby to know about Ayn Rand, and that's how she knew. Yeah, no, she's she's talked about it pretty openly. She said um, in one interview, I think with Vice, that... um, The studio came to her and said, quote, Okay, Eleanor, we'll pay for you to go back into the editing room and take the abortion out. And I had always known this day would come and that I could then say, honestly, I would be happy to. But if I take it out, the whole story collapses. There's no reason for Baby to help Penny, for her to dance or fall in love with Johnny. None of these things will happen without the abortion. So I simply can't do it, even though I'd be
0: so happy to do what you want. And they lost their national sponsor as as a result. but she was getting this fucking movie
2: made. Well, and she like made it a period piece so she could put it, So because it came out in 1987. Roe versus Wade was a thing, right? You could have a legal, a a legal abortion, woman could. So people were like, why even make this a subplot, right? Why even make this a movie that sits in 1963 where abortion's illegal? And she sat there and like point blank told us what we're all facing now, which is it might not always be legal, which is the sickening part of this movie is that you watch this and it's like what should have been a cautionary tale is now coming back again. Right. Um, At the
0: time, I think she was very much like younger generations need to remember that this was the thing so that they don't take the right to safe and legal abortion for granted. And like how chilling is that to watch back now as these rights are under active, active assault, as we are on the verge of Potentially this week, Roe likely being overturned. Um, it is a really crazy thing to to watch a movie and understand that there were a lot of people who have known for a very long time um that, you know, our rights were not, were not guaranteed. Um yeah. I also just like love that she used this romantic story as this kind of Trojan horse to talk about these stickier things. And I think it's such a lesson in the way that, like, pop culture can have such an impact without being like, this is an issues movie where we talk about abortion. Like, I think in the initial interviews and commentary about the movie, it wasn't even commented on as much as some of the other elements there. And it's something that I think was always important to Eleanor, but something that she said, like in that same interview with Vice, she said that she didn't really realize how much um, the abortion subplot had impacted women watching until she got a call from Irene Carmon in 2010 to do an interview for Jezebel, and Irene was asking her a lot of questions specifically about the the abortion and about you know the racial issues that the Um, that the movie brings up and in this Vice interview she said quote honestly that's the only reason I made the damn film there were plenty of films about love and romance but if they tried to take those political things out I wouldn't have knocked myself out to make it Real people have to have abortions even as they're dancing and falling in love. And real people have to go off to Vietnam or Iraq. And real people are in the streets in Black Lives Matter marches. You can't separate a cause from the story of people's romantic or sensual or happy lives. And I just, I love that. It feels like such a mission statement for those of us who are engaged in either like creating more lighthearted narratives or analyzing lighthearted narratives. Hearted Narratives for a Living, which is all all three of us. Um, And it's just cool to see how she was like, yeah, I'm just going to, like, make this movie. I'm going to fucking get it made the way that I want to see it made. And I'm going to, like, let it just sit there and have its impact. And it, like, really did. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think that's, like, that is, like, the tagline for the whole, for the movie. Like, you can't separate yeah. a cause from a story of people's romantic or sensual lives because— it is this uh, just a story about how sensuality and social justice are not only two separate things, they're inextricably intertwined. And, like, at the beginning of the movie, Baby doesn't understand that, and neither does her dad, and neither does Lisa. You know, none of them really understand that. that. It's like their family is in two little halves, and there's the... Dr. Hausman and baby half that's just like all that matters is miners trapped in mine shafts and (laughs) famines and getting a degree in economics of developing nations so that you can fix that and (laughs) Lisa's just like all that matters is shoes and whether they match my dress and um, by extension sort of her mother is the person who is the guardian of feminine uh, beauty with with Lisa but then, over the course of the movie, Baby accesses this this other side of her that cares about music and dancing and and sex and love and pleasure, and that is the same thing that brings into her life actual real world engagement with injustice and with politics and. Those things are, she realizes they aren't separate at all. And that's ultimately even what brings her closer to, to her mom and her sister is that she has tapped into that side of herself and she's seen the value of it. And I think that's really beautiful. Like it is it is something that you can't just take out of the movie because it's
0: the point of the movie mm-hmm. is all of this stuff is is linked. I just love this movie. Me too. I also love just seeing, you know, Lenny Briscoe and Emily Gilmore together in what it (laughs) bliss.
2: he's so good too and that scene where where he's looking over the lake and she comes to talk to him and says like you know he let her down too and his chin quivers and i'm like oh it's such a good moment it's such a good moment because this is a character for all of his faults like he does help penny without judgment like without judging her in that moment right he comes Mm -hmm. to her aid and I think there's not a lot of doctors who would have done that. You know, I think there is, you see, he's a good man at heart. He just has, he'd like his kid to be in a certain place, um, you know, and she doesn't fit into that mold that he had just prayed she would fit into and that she had fit into for so long. And that moment between them where, you know, where she knows she's let him down, but he's let her down too. It's just. Oh
0: my God. That, so good. That is so beautiful. That whole speech is so perfectly delivered and like, oh my God, I get like choked up just thinking about that scene. It really is, it really is perfect. And the, one of the beautiful things about the ending of the movie is that it does ultimately bring Baby and her dad back together, right? Like they can have this, maybe they're less tightly linked, you know? They're not like in, always gonna be in step with each other. But they have a much more honest relationship and you can see how that honesty will serve both of them moving forward. Like that is in part the task of, of raising a child to adulthood, right? Is like that letting go and that saying of I've, I've done my job. I've like instilled what I believe are good values in this person. And now I need to let them go live those values in the way that they decide. Um, yeah. And it's beautiful.
1: It is. I mean, it's a movie about her, like, breaking out of being daddy's little girl, right? Which is actually very limiting in a lot of ways. And we see that, like, Lisa can wear lipstick, but if baby's wearing it, he's like, take that off your face before your mother sees it. Like, she's expected to to have this, like, sort of infantilized purity that is supposed to go hand in hand with her value system and her social justice causes. And... That's actually a way of like, yeah, of keeping her in her babyhood and she has to to become an adult woman and have that moment where Johnny is like, my partner, Frances Hausman. That's (laughs) her real name. (laughs) She's a woman. She's not a baby. Also, nobody puts baby in a corner. But, But her mother shines in this moment because that is the side of Frances that her mother actually relates to. She's like... You know, Frances is up there doing her her womanly dance on stage. Her husband is getting up to intervene, I guess. And she's like, Jake, sit down. Like, this is not something you need to intervene in. Like, this is fine. I actually see myself in Frances right now. And there is value in what she is doing here. Like she she is able to to see that side of herself and her daughter at that moment.
2: She's and like, in I love like, her daughter. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And her whole family is, like, better off, too, because then Lisa is closer to her father because he hasn't idealized one daughter at the expense of the other, who does, you know, seem like kind of she sucks because she wants to get a maid fired because her lipstick is broken, (laughs) but maybe she's learning to be a better person. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> through the course of, of this film as well. <laughs> At the end, she's dancing with Billy, so she can't be that bad. There's hope for her yet. <laughs> yeah. I have hope for Lisa.
0: I do, too. I do, too.
1: Lisa's um, just trying to
0: decorate the world, and um, we have yeah. to respect that. <laughs> oh, I felt for Lisa in that that
1: moment. Uh, that's early in the movie when, was it Robbie? So they're talking to Robbie and her father is saying, Francis is going to, her baby's going to save the world. And they're like, well, what are you going to do, Lisa? Oh, Lisa's going to decorate it.
0: <laughs> Knife just <laughs> right into chest twist. A rude spot. <laughs> so rude. <laughs>
1: With that innocent
0: little look on her face. I know. Should we talk about the chemistry between our two leads and what's really at the center of this movie, which is we've been dancing around a little bit, but let's just like get into the love story. I mean, yes. Patrick yeah. Swayze and Jennifer Grey have some of the most insane on-screen chemistry that I've maybe ever seen.
2: It's so hot. It's so
1: hot.
0: It's out of control. Oh my god. I,
1: maybe it's partly cuz they didn't like each other that yeah. much and so there is something, there's some crackle in the air between them. I
0: saw an interview with um with Patrick Swayze's widow talking about how in that moment when he would get frustrated she was like you got to use it and she's like isn't it interesting how there is this kind of like fine line between frustration and anger and just like insane romantic passion and how that they were like the the direction of the movie was like helped along by that and the director of the movie um was a documentary filmmaker and so he did capture certain scenes that yes. were just really what happened between the two of them, um, and and use them in the fictional narrative. Like Allison, I, I saw yesterday when you were preparing, you posted a little video on Instagram of the iconic scene where they are practicing the dance, and Baby keeps laughing as Johnny is like sensually dragging his hand. <laughs> so
2: it gets a little side across, boob. Yeah, a little <laughs> side boob graze.
0: And she just starts giggling every single time. And I always found that scene to be, like, so captivating. Like, oh, my God, so realistic. Who wouldn't laugh when someone's, like, <laughs> this hot guy is, like, side, tickling, their boob. tickling their boob and, like, right under the <laughs> armpit, which is a really ticklish place. And then you learn, you're like, oh, no, that – he was really frustrated and she really couldn't stop giggling. And… um the director was, was just like, yeah. keep so rolling.
2: Good. And then they used it. And then that lo- whole Lover Boy scene too is like yeah. rehearsal. Yeah. I was just them on rehearsal. And it's so wildly, weirdly sexy. Like weirdly sexy. Yeah. I, I read something
1: that said they were like getting into character. And I was like, wow, they
0: really committed to getting <laughs> into character. I was like, <laughs> I didn't know that what I wanted was a man to like crawl on the ground and mime lyrics to me. But like, it turns yeah. out it is. I don't know. But is it? Because, like, if that happened in real life, I would no, definitely Yeah, like, laugh. I'm picturing Adam doing that now, and I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> yeah. no, don't do that. But, but Patrick's, Patrick's crazy. I, mean, huh? I think part of this
1: whole romance is her being, as I said... Trained and initiated, but like into taking this shit seriously. Like, at first, we see a lot of her laughing. And then by their seduction dance scene after the botched abortion, she is not laughing. She's like, Yes, we are stroking each other's necks sensually. And I am dipping my head back and letting my hair fall almost to the floor. And like, none of this is funny at all.
2: And they get out of that car, though. I was watching this scene when they get out of the car right before they learn about the botched abortion and they've had this sort of she's dressed. She's, they've had their kind of weird dance where they did okay, but she didn't do the lift and she's changing in the back of the car as He drives home and he's kind of catching glimpses of her in the back seat. She jumps over to the Mm -hmm. front seat to sit next to them. They drive up and as he like opens a door for her and like, they're kind of holding, they're like holding hands. It's so interesting. You feel like something's maybe about to happen, but then there's the botched abortion and they did movie does such a great job of like, Making you lean in and think they're gonna be together. It's this really nice slow burn, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. that we don't sometimes get enough. And you know, by the time she shows up at his door and it's like, you know, I'm worried that I'll never feel this way again. She says it better. I'm watching that line. Um yeah. it's like you buy it
0: by that point because we yeah. have had that more subtle build. And I do wonder if those sort of like found moments that were captured and used really allow the cheesier parts to land well, because like so much of it does feel so natural. Like you're like, I would be scared if some dude was like, come walk on this log. I'd be like, no, thank you. (laughs) This seems dangerous. Or like (laughs) if someone's tickling my side boob, I would be laughing hysterically. And so, yeah, yeah, it just makes it, it, it allows you to buy into their connection so much more because you feel like baby is like sort of has this wry self-awareness about how ridiculous the whole thing is
1: yeah and it's like it's a trust building like relationship right like and part of that is laughing together and also part of it is dancing on a log together being terrified and he doesn't let you fall Right, Like, we see that all happen, and you can take the ridiculous corny moments, which are the most iconic ones, and be like, wow, this movie is so cheesy, but you would never, yeah, you would never buy those moments if you hadn't seen them laughing together, like, dancing together on the log, because what you're really attaching to is the way that you see two people, like, developing that trust for each other and that comfort together. They oh, do the a good summer. job
2: of like the bro- and summer, right? It's so the summer, summer, the summer yeah. fling of it all, but also like mm. his kind of brokenness and his I think what was interesting about his character is to learn that like he would kind of fall for these women who we realized were using mm-hmm.
0: him. Mm, and you yeah. expect
2: a character like that to just use women, to just have their beautiful, and this will be the first woman he's ever fallen for, and that'll be baby. And but I think it was such an interesting character moment when he's like, you know, these beautiful women and you take interest in me, and, and then I realize they're using me, and he was hurt by that. And I think there's something. You, all, you just want to hug his character when you learn that, right? Yeah. And I think that, that was an interesting—I wasn't expecting that.
0: I agree. And you do see mm-hmm. Baby, even in that moment, make the assumption of, like—or make the assumption of, like, oh, so you were just, like, using them. Like, I get it. Like, maybe I'm different, but I get what you were doing. And he's like, no, 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 you're misunderstanding the point of this story. Like, I was a symbol for these women who had more money— and more privilege than I yeah. do. And, like, I was their prop. And that isn't that isn't really a role that we often see men being put into. And so it does, like, offer, I think, greater depth to the character. And, like, you, especially, I think, as a woman, you can connect to that story and, like, feel for him.
1: Yeah. He and Penny are both presented as... Being sort of like adjacent to sex work in that way, that like they are there mm-hmm. to entertain using their bodies and that the guests or the shitty waiters like Robbie will want to, will, will see them as sexually available essentially yeah. and will not take them into account as like human beings with feelings attached yes. to their bodies and, but they don't see themselves that way. Like, they don't see themselves as sexually available as part of their work. And and that's been abused for both of them. Um, I, yeah, I I feel like that's, like, such a classic romance novel twist, too. To be, like, you think that he's a bad, like, that he's a rake or, like, a playboy. But he actually is just so broken he's and just wounded by all the beautiful women who loved him. Yeah. <laughs> he's so Sensitive. <laughs> sensitive.
2: <laughs> like when, he, like when, when, um, baby goes to apologize and opens that door and he's like sitting on the bed with Penny with like its head between his legs, clearly like so upset. It's just he's so sensitive. So oh sensitive. Oh, God.
0: Patrick and Swayze is just perfect. God. I, I can't believe they wanted Billy Zane for this oh. role. Like, yeah, it Good couldn't polish. be anyone but Patrick Imagine. Swayze. And no, so was, Eleanor Sarah Bernstein was right. Though.
2: Oh, Do we yeah. think Sarah Jessica Parker would have, like... I mean, I don't think... I, there's no one else who can be in these two roles. Like, that's why this movie works. But I just... I uh, That was when I was like, oh, I could see it.
0: I, I get why they Sarah would Jessica.
2: go after Sarah Jessica for this role.
0: It, it it does make sense. And she did... She's been in, you know, girls just want to have fun. Great dance movie. um, But, yeah, it just had to be Jennifer Grey. Yeah. <laughs> it just, no, had it just had to be. had to be her. It like, had to be her. She has that self-serious side that you see come out in, like, her role in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, mm-hmm. where she's just, like, so acerbic and kind of She dour. has an edge. Yeah, she has mm. an edge, and I think that's why the baby character works. Like, she uses her edge as armor, and that armor is, is broken down along with a lot of her, like, preconceptions about herself in the, yeah. the world.
2: And, and she's, like, proving that she has edge here. I think that's what's so interesting. You know, she just wants to prove to the world that she's not just this baby, right? That's her her goal, is to prove that she's more than what she was brought up as or what people who people think she is. Yes. Yeah. Also,
1: I just want to touch on this because it's important to me. She is, like, my style icon in this movie. Oh, my
0: God. the bodysuit and the <gasps> jeans. That's oh. what I, I texted Claire about that, that outfit. Pink, I was like, I yes. need that pink Bodysuit and those jean shorts and the keds. So
1: I Ugh. the kids. The, the only reason I own kids is because of this movie. Like I just want to be Jennifer Gray in white kids, like and an A-line knee length skirt and like a little crop t shirt. That's all I want in life. She makes and me to, want to wear a white the jeans. Curly bangs. Yeah. The she hair really is your
0: perfection. like I feel like she's your like hair soul sister.
1: Yeah, but her hair, her hair does, it curls in a way that I think my hair curls, but it actually doesn't. So you can see my bangs on this taping. They're not curly. And in my mind, if I cut bangs, they look like Jennifer Gray's. They're just like, <laughs> you know, beautiful little ringlets. And my hair is just sort of wavy. So she is an icon and I i aspire. Um, So her, she's supposed to be actually sort of like, not stylish like that's her she's like the the ingenue but also sort of like she doesn't fit in she's not the pretty girl like her sister she her sister at one point is like I always like used to look up to you I was like baby's weird like her hair sticks out she dresses funny but she's better than me, and I was like, "Well, she also is cuter." Like so I don't know, her <laughs> style is just better. Her sister's
2: hair is so bad. The whole film, by the way, it's like so sixties. It. So yeah,
1: bad. that's the thing about doing this kind of period piece is like Jennifer Gray has hair that's very eighties, and it's like, well, that's not cute for the sixties. And her sister has good sixties hair, but it looks very stiff and like artificial by the eighties, which is all about perms. Oh my god! Jennifer Grey. Yeah, I've had
2: her time. Yeah, truly,
1: truly. truly. Uh, so I think we've come to a point where it's time to do final thoughts about this movie because otherwise we're just going to keep going I know. Day. I'm like
0: struggling to wrap up because I just love everything <laughs> about the movie. And so I'm like, let me tell you about this other thing that I really like about it and this other moment that I just personally want to talk about. But I think, God, overall, this is just such a great example of the summer, summer romance genre. It mm-hmm. hits so many of those, like, feel-good tropes while also really being a movie that has weight behind it. Like, there is so much to tease out, and it does it in such such a smart and sharp way. And, like, I will forever be a little bit in love with Patrick Swayze as a result of, of seeing this mm-hmm. film at a formative time.
1: Yeah. Allison, how do you feel about Patrick Swayze? Would you, like, I is mean, that your type?
0: If his ghost shows up,
2: you're in. (laughs) Uh, Yes, just in. I mean, 100. I feel like Patrick Swayze is everyone's type in this movie. I think Mm. even a man might melt. It is just, there's just something a little bit broken and perfect and sexy and accessible about him. There's a sensitivity and a vulnerability that I think male leads at that time were really afraid to go there. And he went there. And if there's a reason that this movie is iconic, I think it is... A lot, Jennifer Grey, and I think it's a lot him. Like, and and I think the I think the fact that it's smart is why it holds the test of time, and we can watch it now. We're not throwing that many stones, which is rare, by the way. To mm-hmm. so look back mm-hmm. at these at these romance or rom coms and say how it holds up, like it's rare, but that chemistry is like even more rare, especially for a movie in you know the eighties. Like they could have gone all cheese and it just. The fact that we're watching it and still swoon... I mean, I think I texted all caps yesterday. I'm like, swoon. Like, it's just... You swoon. Mm -hmm. Yes.
1: Yeah. And he's really not my type in the traditional sense. Like, he's so, like, square-jawed and buff and, like, blonde. But, yeah, you can't help but fall in love with him because of that vulnerability that you're describing. And even, like, the cheesy dance moves, I'm like you know what? Yeah, I'm I'm in. You're I would, signing I up would for be on board. Yeah. Women pop. everywhere
0: believe that they can do a lift if they just <laughs> hang out in the water for long enough. Um, this is a myth. I'm going to put it out there. <laughs> it requires other skills. I did, during research for this episode, watch
1: a, a 2018 super verbal ad that i had missed that is a riff on the final dance sequence featuring eli manning and odell beckham jr and eli manning <laughs> does lift odell beckham jr into
0: the air <laughs> okay so if you a professional athlete they're you just can very do this. strong yeah yeah
1: <laughs> you just have to be strong and you have to trust each other right trust is so important um that's my main takeaway from this movie <laughs> Also just the perfect summer movie. Apparently it was filmed in autumn in Virginia and North Carolina and the weather was actually it was cold. quite inconsistent, cold for a lot of it and then too hot in North Carolina. But The impression that it gives of just a true like summer so many summer storms like so much like steamy looking rain and like the hair frizz that lisa lisa gets from all the rain and like you know you're inside and you're hot but there's rain pattering on the windows and you're doing a jigsaw puzzle it just like you can almost smell the cabin and like the rain on the trees it's just like the essence of of summer. And after this I think that these resorts are going to have a comeback because I am going to to want to do this every summer.
2: Like what an amazing thing to do with your family too. Like yeah. As a parent I'm like I want to go to one of these places and right. pay a lot for dance lessons and <laughs> probably not sleep in my in my room at all. <laughs> Exactly. I mean,
0: honestly, it sounds like I'm not a parent, but this looks like a gift to parents. You're like, we can all go together. My kids will be taken care of. I will get to hang out with my friends. There's good food. I don't have to cook it. Like, seems great. summer
2: camp for kids and adults. Why do we have this? Yeah. Um, Bring it back. New mission. New mission, guys. Bringing this back. (laughs) I'm just saying. That's my number one priority. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, So before we wrap up, we wanted to give... Each of the movies that we cover in this mini series, a little, a little summer love-in rating. I think this one we're gonna do out of ten watermelons. That feels appropriate. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And I feel like this one gets like not 9.5 watermelons. Is it a perfect 10? <laughs> I don't know. I don't wanna like blow my wad too soon. <laughs>
1: I agree. I mean, this is a perfect summer romance movie. I think it's just like a big slice of perfectly ripe watermelon on your plate at the barbecue. Yeah, I'm gonna say nine out of ten watermelons. Since since this is I'm a
2: visitor, I'm saying ten out of ten watermelons. <laughs> yeah, you're like I have nothing to lose. I have nothing to lose. This <laughs> just, just ten out of ten. It's uh, you just you leave that movie and you feel fucking great. Yes, Yes. Ugh. That.
1: that's it. I felt so incredible. I immediately started watching it again and whew, it was a great decision. I think we're going to wrap up with Love to See It, Hate to See It, which we haven't done in a little while, but we got to get back in the groove before Bachelorette. So let's start with Hate to See It. This might be a tough one. It was really hard for us to find anything we hated to see, honestly. I think I am <laughs> going to have to go back to what we talked about before and and just like, this is, you know, years and years ago and conversations being had in the mainstream about this are much different than they were at the time. But it is an example of like the culture and the people um, who make the culture, people of color, being sort of used as... Um, props and background for like a white lead couple um, and main characters and that was one of the biggest knocks on the movie for me watching it in 2022
0: yeah totally agree um I think the only other thing we kind of picked out was that there was a little bit of an effort made like specifically with Penny where she kind of has to make it clear to Baby and by way of Baby, the audience, that she didn't sleep with Robbie just because she was out here slutting around. Yeah. <laughs> she slept with Robbie because she thought he loved her. Uh, and it does sort of betray a need to justify why a character like Penny um, would have been sleeping with someone. And that definitely felt a little bit, yeah, a little bit dated. But overall, like, God, this movie is really fucking good. Not a lot. Not a lot to hate. Let's move on to the more fun part, which is things we love to see. Yeah. Uh, obviously,
1: baby's perfect fashion forever. Like, very important part of
0: this movie for me. And, and her curly bangs. Very important. <laughs> Absolutely. Also, the freaking soundtrack and the fact that they did such a good job of mixing, like, actual songs from the 60s with newer ballads. Obviously, there's I've Had the Time of My Life, which was made for the movie um, as an original and I believe won an Oscar, potentially. Um, It should have. I think it did. Yes. And also the fact that Eleanor Bergstein wrote the specific songs into the initial script and they had mm-hmm. to work really hard on a shoestring budget to license all of these very specific songs because Eleanor was like nope this is what we need there is no movie without the songs that I wrote this movie to include and I just and Patrick I love Swayze that
2: but uh, uh that's not like she's like the wind whatever that's him yeah that was his yeah. song
1: yeah, it's that so that was one of the it. contemporary ones at the time. It's what you could say it's anachronistic to have those 1980s songs, but I think that it creates a beautiful sense of timelessness. It that works. That is part of the film's appeal. That's but I crazy. think that in contrast with that, like, we are sort of anachronism that people sometimes whine about is that like you said she handpicked all those songs for the the moments in the script and you can tell like the specificity like sometimes Patrick Swayze is like mouthing along with the lyrics yeah. we all remember the scene of course where they're, they're lip syncing to, to that duet um, in the studio and that gives the film such a great sense of like texture that I feel like now so much is often done in post with movies and like music is being changed and this and that and like Dirty
0: Dancing is the antithesis of that. It's so good. Yeah, there is a reason that the soundtrack went on to, like, top charts. Um, something else we love to see, as we've talked about before, the absolutely smoldering chemistry between our leads. I don't think we have to talk any about it, because we already have said a lot, but, like... so good. We love to see it. The dancing. Love the dancing. Tens across the board <laughs> for
1: me. Even, even at the Sheldrake, um... It was perfect for for what it was. I love that they didn't have Baby nail that dance too hard in her first time out. Because you need to know that it's hard to be a professional mommo dancer.
0: It's also the kind of dancing where, like, they made her get very good, but not to the level of Penny and Johnny. Like, it, it felt like a heightened version of, of what one could, like, realistically learn if you were practicing very hard for, for a month. And also the dancing, like, they just all look like they're having a great time. And I think that's such a key, key part of it. Something else we love to see is, of course, Baby's speech, telling her dad that, you know, he taught her these high ideals, but calling him out for not really showing and living those ideals in the way that he like purported to be um and yeah just that line i'm sorry but you let me down too freaking tearjerker parents are humans they're not infallible okay (laughs) claire's like note to max
1: i (laughs) yeah i'm sure i'm letting you down in some way but (laughs) (laughs) no it's it's a healthy part of growing up uh I loved seeing Baby's mom Marge getting her moment um, when when her dad can't quite understand Baby anymore because he's blinded by his own preconceived notions of who she should be, and Marge is like, "Step back, Jake. I
0: got this. <laughs> <laughs> That's my daughter." <laughs> Oh, such a great moment. And finally, I just love the entire ending sequence. Like, it does offer this kind of alternative, very rainbow-like vision of what the future could hold. But it works. Like, the cheesiness of it works. And it's just, you get to see everyone dancing together, crossing cultural and class lines by way of just this, like, joyful movement. And it's beautiful. And in the center of it all, Baby and Johnny making out (laughs) and her dad is like i'm fine with this now because
1: he did not get penny (laughs) pregnant and so it's good um i love it uh allison were there any moments that you wanted to
2: add (laughs) I mean, you you really covered them. I think that. <laughs> I know we were like every moment in the movie. Every, was the literally moment. every moment. But that <laughs> scene is just amazing. And when he's singing time of my life, like in mouthing those few little words to her, it is just so sexy. I mean, I, it's, a, it's a moment that could be so cheesy and it's wildly sexy. I just can't. Emma, Emma's just like, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I gotta <laughs> watch eyes. it again. I just, this that scene, ugh. it's, it's everything. This movie is like the triumph
1: of of cheesy. It's like, yeah, cheesy can be sexy. Cheesy person We're gonna make you feel it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not everything needs to be cool. Okay, it can still be really sexy. That's it for Love to See It with Emma and Claire. Thanks to our guest, Allison Greenberg.
0: Love to See It is produced by us, Claire Fallon and Emma Gray and Stitcher. This episode was edited by Tamika Weatherspoon. Our theme music is by Tamar Haviv and our art is by Celine Chang. Josephine Martirana is our executive producer.
1: If you like the show, please rate us five stars and leave a review. And of course,
0: help us spread the word about our show, especially to your friends who used to listen to us as Here to Make Friends. If you want to get in touch, you can always email us at clarenemmapod at gmail.com with your questions, voice memos, Suggestions for other shows or movies you'd like to see us cover in the Bachelor offseason.
1: You can also find us on Twitter and TikTok at Love to See It Pod and Instagram at Claire and Emma Pod. And you can find our newsletter Rich Text on Substack at Claire and Emma
0: I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Emma Lady
1: Rose, and I'm at Claire E Fallon. We'll be back next week with another Summer Love and Classic Reese with Ally Barthwell. <laughs>
2: Ditcher.